Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Tuesday, January 2nd. Today we're exploring the intersection of AI and quantum computing and its potential to revolutionize science. And we'll delve into how scientists are using vibrating molecules to destroy cancer cells. Plus, we'll discuss how natural selection can slow evolution according to new research. And we'll look at how sharing your science in an opinion piece can boost your career. This coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Quantum machine learning, a fusion of two of the most exciting fields in technology today, is drawing significant attention. But what exactly is it, and what potential does it hold? Charlotte, could you shed some light on this? Sure, Diego. Quantum machine learning combines the principles of quantum computing with machine learning, a form of artificial intelligence. Quantum computers, if built at large scales, could solve certain problems much more efficiently than traditional digital electronics, thanks to the unique properties of the subatomic world. Researchers are exploring whether these problems might include machine learning tasks, such as spotting patterns in data and making inferences in unfamiliar situations. Interesting. So who is investing in this field, and what are the potential applications? Well... Many tech companies, including Google, IBM, and startups like Regetti and IonQ, are investigating the potential of quantum machine learning. Even CERN, the European Particle Physics Laboratory, is experimenting with it. They already use machine learning to detect signs of certain subatomic particles in the data generated by the Large Hadron Collider. The idea is to use quantum computers to speed up or improve classical machine learning models. But are there any challenges or limitations to this approach? Yes, there are. The big question is whether there are scenarios where quantum machine learning offers an advantage over the classical variety. While theory shows that quantum computers can speed up calculations for specialized tasks, there's still insufficient evidence that this is the case for machine learning. Some researchers suggest that quantum machine learning could spot patterns that classical computers miss, even if it isn't faster. However, others are skeptical about claims of significant quantum speedup in machine learning. There are also technical challenges related to how classical data and quantum computation interact. So, what's the future of quantum machine learning? Where is the field headed? Some researchers are shifting their focus to applying quantum machine learning algorithms to phenomena that are inherently quantum. This is one area where there's been a clear quantum advantage. Another possibility is to sidestep the hurdle of translating classical data altogether by using quantum machine learning algorithms on data that are already quantum. This could offer big advantages over systems that collect quantum measurements as classical data points. However, whether quantum computers will offer advantages to machine learning will ultimately be decided by experimentation, rather than by mathematical proofs of their superiority or lack thereof. It's clear that the field is still in its early stages, but it's certainly an exciting area to watch. Thanks for your insights, Charlotte. Speaking of exciting developments, in the realm of cancer research, Scientists have made a breakthrough by discovering a new way to destroy cancer cells. Charlotte, can you share more about this? Absolutely, Diego. This research involves stimulating aminocyanin molecules with near-infrared light. This causes the molecules to vibrate in sync, enough to break apart the membranes of cancer cells. Aminocyanin molecules are synthetic dyes already used in bioimaging to detect cancer. They are stable in water and are very good at attaching themselves to the outside of cells. Interesting. So how does this new approach compare to previous methods of destroying cancer cells? 
Well, this new method is a significant improvement over a previously developed molecular machine called Faringa-type motors, which could also break the structures of problematic cells. The research team from Rice University, Texas A&M University, and the University of Texas have dubbed this new generation of molecular machines molecular jackhammers. They're more than one million times faster in their mechanical motion than the Faringa-type motors and can be activated with near-infrared light rather than visible light. What makes the use of near-infrared light so important in this context? The use of near-infrared light is crucial because it allows scientists to reach deeper into the body. This means that cancer in bones and organs could potentially be treated without needing surgery to access the cancer growth. In tests on lab-grown cancer cells, the molecular jackhammer method had a 99% success rate at destroying the cells. The approach was also tested on mice with melanoma tumors, and half the animals became cancer-free. That's quite impressive. What's the science behind how these molecules work? When in motion, the electrons inside the aminocyanin molecules form what's known as plasmons, collectively vibrating entities that drive movement across the whole of the molecule. The plasmons have an arm on one side, helping to connect the molecules to the cancer cell membranes, while the movements of the vibrations bash them apart. This is the first time a molecular plasmon is utilized in this way to excite the whole molecule and to actually produce mechanical action used to achieve a particular goal, in this case, tearing apart cancer cells' membrane. This sounds like a promising development in the fight against cancer. What's next for this research? The researchers are now looking at other types of molecules that can be used in a similar way. This study is about a different way to treat cancer using mechanical forces at the molecular scale. It's still early days for the research, but these initial findings are very promising. A fascinating development indeed. Thanks for your insights, Charlotte. Now shifting our focus to the world of evolutionary biology, when we think of natural selection, we often think of change and diversity. However, a new study led by evolutionary biologist Jeff Connor from Michigan State University suggests that natural selection can also preserve similarities between populations. Charlotte, can you break this down for us? Absolutely, Diego. The team worked with wild radish, a plant that has evolved to have two short and four long pollen-producing organs, known as stamens. Previous research suggested that natural selection maintains this length difference, known as anther separation, even though we don't understand why. The team wanted to see if a lack of genetic variation, or constraint, was preventing the anther separation from evolving. So how did the team go about testing this theory? They used artificial selection to breed wild radishes to restore their appearance to their more primitive state, which consisted of a smaller gap between stamens. If a trait responds to artificial selection, it can evolve. But if it doesn't, there's a constraint caused by a lack of genetic variation. The study involved six generations, with 3,437 wild radish plants grown and measured. Through artificial selection, the researchers were able to reduce the difference in the lengths of the stamen by more than 30%. What does this tell us about the role of natural selection in preserving similarities? This change shows that today's wild radish, and probably its relatives, still have the genetic variation they need to evolve, making it unlikely they are being constrained. Instead, natural selection appears to be maintaining a difference in their stamen lengths. Connor suggests that if they continued the experiment, they might be able to restore the radishes to six stamens of equal length. This suggests that natural selection can also slow things down and cause similarities as well as differences. That's fascinating. It seems like we're learning more about the capabilities of natural selection. Thanks for explaining, Charlotte. Now, 
Let's delve into another aspect of the scientific world, one that's not just about conducting experiments and publishing research papers, but also involves sharing personal perspectives and opinions. Devang Mehta, a synthetic biologist at the Catholic University of Leuven, Belgium, is a prolific perspective writer. Charlotte, can you tell us more about the role of opinion pieces in the scientific community? Certainly, Diego. Opinion pieces, also known as op-eds, commentaries, or guest essays, are a platform for scientists to express their personal views on a topic. They reach a much wider audience than traditional research publications, which can be crucial in countering anti-science sentiments and building trust in scientific endeavors. Trish Hall, who previously edited the New York Times op-ed page, emphasizes that opinion pieces can significantly influence public and policy expert viewpoints. They give scientists the chance to share their expertise and encourage people to think differently. So it's not just about sharing knowledge, but also about shaping public opinion. Can you share some examples of how these opinion pieces have had an impact? Absolutely. For instance, Lara Aknan, a social psychologist at Simon Fraser University, co-authored an opinion piece about the mental health impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. This piece led to a meeting between public health specialists in the U.S. Office of the Surgeon General and the study's researchers. Another example is Hohan Go, a plant biologist at the National University of Malaysia who wrote an opinion piece on the importance of cultivating genetically modified organisms. The article sparked a public discussion, prompting him to write more on the topic. It seems like these pieces can also benefit the authors themselves, right? Yes, indeed. Meta, for example, has found that every piece he has written has positively impacted his career. His articles have led to advisory roles and media representation opportunities. Similarly, Go's opinion articles have earned him a reputation as an authority in his field and led to speaking invitations. So, while the process of writing an opinion piece can be challenging, it can also be rewarding, both for the author and the readers. That's fascinating. It's clear that opinion pieces play a crucial role in the scientific community, not just in sharing knowledge, but also in shaping public opinion and advancing the author's careers. Thanks for shedding light on this, Charlotte. As we wrap up our stories for today, we appreciate you tuning in to Current Radio and look forward to your company again tomorrow.